What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Round Tripper here on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. It is Monday, February 24th, 224. Uh, Gianna and Kobe Bryant Day. They had their memorial today. I am joined by Conrad Bayer and Jack Sherwood. Boys, how are we doing today? Try that again. Hello, test. There we go. Now There we go. Okay, so, okay. All right, so how are you doing? Because I don't think anyone heard that. Uh, I'm going to do a little Yahtzee and say really good now. There you go. So now, now he's good. What would we have? How's the sandwich? Good, full, very full. Had two of them. Well, that's some important. Some cookies, some Nilla wafers. Wow, that's a dinner. Yeah. I haven't eaten yet. I'm kind of hungry, but we'll get to that after the show. Conrad, how are we doing? Doing all right. Yeah. Doing all right. Why just all right? Talk to us, Conrad. Yeah. What's going on? I don't know. Just long, long week ahead of us. Got to focus that's on a true. lot of things happening. But what are we looking forward to next week? Big East. <laughs> what are we looking to forward to after Big East? Not having to run for a week. That's right. We got a plane down to Fort Lauderdale. So, yes, this is the last show before spring break when this trio, along with 14 others, uh, go down to, uh, to Fort Lauderdale. Isn't it 15 others? Is it? Oh, no, there's three of us. Uh, I thought no, there was two trying. of us. I forgot Sherwood's still, still here. Wow. That's fine. He's, it was because he's tucked away in the corner now. Yeah. Oh, he was also. If you, if you saw the pre show uh, little oh. Instagram thing that we've been doing now. Somebody's a little late all the time. Yeah, well, yeah. he's the executive producer. Likes to show up like a minute before the show. Uh, three minutes, three to five minutes. It's a long walk. You were not five minutes this time. Four minutes, three and a half. It was pretty close. Two. Yeah, there we go. We'll, we'll keep moving towards it. One. But, <laughs> but yes, like I said, this, stop me when I get there. This is our last show before spring break. We are off next Monday, maybe emergency podcast down yeah i'm 100 right. i would probably have to be a tuesday they're probably yeah because conrad's well, not, not coming be down there until tuesday that's why we'll do a tuesday yeah. Yeah, exactly so maybe maybe a little a quick clip could go up uh it could week. it will i might just go live yeah conrad Ohio. might just go live on the instagram so follow um round trip round underscore tripper 23 oh yeah because you never know what's going to pop up on there you never know which hasn't been much lately mr social media director he's been busy uh it's conrad conrad that's social. what i'm saying yeah you can, you can help if you want, Mr. Executive Producer. No, I, this is your baby. This is your godchild. I let, I'm letting you take him free reign. All right. We'll see. Next week, there might be a lot of content. I was oh. the one that attacked you. Pat attacked you. <laughs> I stood up I for know, you. But, he, but he actually does stuff for their show, Thank so I, I felt like I, I have to reflect that. that way. Yeah, that's fair enough. We'll see. Maybe we'll put something up there. Conrad and I, will. we're going to do like just, it's going to be like the when they send up the smoke for when they pick the Pope. Conrad and I are just oh, going to sit. smoke? We're just going to sit in the room figure out some type of content and we're going to walk out and present it to everyone. Yes. That's fair. Also, congratulations are in order for the handball team. Yeah. The handball team coming away with a title. Wow. Big win. Incredible. It was 16 to three in the semifinal as well as a 15 to eight win in the championship game. Conrad was a wonderful coach on the sideline. That's what I'm here for. Team MVP, Connor McGovern, who I think scored about 95% of our goals and was the goalie and was also the goalie. So spectacular effort from everyone there. Nice to bring home another title. Incredible. Incredible. All right, we'll get into the shout-outs, the Instagram, again, the podcast, and we'll move into the show. So shout-out to Connor, Jordy, Megan, Jules, Shannon, Joe, Rebecca, Rick, Dan, Brian, Jack, Madeline, Katie, Cap City, Cohen, Uncle Ken, Aunt Diane, Marie, Joe, Johnny, Mom, Dad, Bears, Canes, Sherwoods, Woods, Moyes, everyone and anyone. Thank you so much for listening. We are live on Instagram at round underscore tripper 23. And the podcast goes live every Tuesday morning on iTunes and Spotify. Just search round tripper two words. All right. So we are going to get into it then. We're going to start with some Villanova basketball. Then the rest of the show is kind of a, a jumble, we'll say. Uh, so we'll start with men's and women's basketball. We've got NFL, Wilder Fury, NHL, trade deadlines, pre-training, NBA, Champions League. Many tiny little things to 
just touch on as we still move towards this uh, kind of the transitioning time in sports. But starting with Nova basketball, they come in ranked 12th yet again in the AP poll after a 2-0 and week. The win streak is up to four following that three-game losing streak. Justin Moore took home his fifth Big East Freshman of the Week award. And we'll start with a 91-71 win at DePaul. Shades of 2018 Villanova in that one. Yeah, the, no one can miss, literally. And also, too, shout-out to CBS Sports, who before both games got updates saying um, bet on the opposing team and just skunked both of them. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah, it was like, oh, it's Villanova smoking mirrors, smoking mirrors. They were minus four and a half in that yeah. game. They won by 20. They were up by 30 and like with like five minutes left and took the literally pedal or foot off the pedal. But no, they played great. I think that that secondary scoring, I mean, what you said, um, Justin Moore obviously getting um, biggest rookie of the week is huge because just going back to when we had the three-game losing streak was really relying heavily on, um, you know, it's the two guys relying on Gillespie, relying on Bay. And we got some really distribu- um, we got some really good scoring distribution in that DePaul game. Obviously led 20 with Sadiq. And then Justin Moore and Gillespie both coming with 17. Dada had a huge game. Which was really nice to yeah, see. He's definitely starting to play a lot better, which is very fun to see. And then, you know, just and probably might be Jeremiah's worst game of the year. Seven points, four turnovers, a couple personal fouls, which is obviously why Dada got in there earlier. But, I mean, just completely spread out scoring, which was great to see. Yeah, you really just, nobody could miss, especially from three. They almost shot 70% from three in that game. I believe they went the first half, it was 10 of 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they cooled down to, I think it was like 8 of 13. Oh, dear. Um, which, I mean, if you're shooting like that, nobody's going to stand a chance, especially this DePaul team. Um, just, even though they started the season so well and Big East play, they've really just gone completely downhill. And then just there was absolutely nobody at that game in Chicago to watch besides Villanova fans. It was about 50% capacity. I looked it up actually today. So that's... Yeah. that's not great. It, it, it's got to be a tough environment for the Villanova guys to go into as well. Playing in you know these raucous environments, whether you be at the Pavilion or you're at the Wells Fargo Center, you've got these road games against Marquette and Butler and things like that. And then you go into Wintrust, a gorgeous arena, but they just can't fill it. That's got to be hard to kind of switch on into. Yeah, it almost feels like you're playing in like a practice gym if you're in, especially in Wintrust with no real crowd. And that's just, yeah. How do you get up for that kind of game? Well, obviously it worked. And they, I guess they thought it was practice with hitting 70% yeah, from three. Um, oh, wow. I should just noticing now they had a better percentage from three than from two. Yeah. In that game. Um, that's just absurd. And then the balance scoring was really it with four guys in double figures. One of those being Demir, um, which is really needed. Um, Samuels didn't really do much, but he hit a couple. He hit a three. So... In that game, it was really just, they just outmatched this DePaul team because they're so much more talented, so much better coached. I think that's a big thing, is they're much better coached than this DePaul team. I'm not sure how much longer Leoto lasts in, uh, in DePaul here with the second time around. This is not a talentless team at all, as we saw, especially earlier in the, you don't earlier go in the season. You start, what, 11 0 or something, 10 0? Something like beat that. Beat Texas Tech. Over Texas yeah. Tech. And not be talented, and then just a fall off like they have. Is, and to be Butler. Yeah, they did number five <laughs> Butler at the time. There's there's some talent on this team, and that's kind of what I, what I'll highlight. Well, the first thing I did want to say was as Conrad referenced, seventy percent from three. Just try to get that through your mind. Seventy percent with that other is, guys on the floor. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, this was not a uh, this was not a walkthrough. Eighteen of twenty six from beyond the arc. The big thing that Villanova did is that they limited Paul Reed on the boards. He wasn't able to make too much of an impact down low. 
for them, sitting at just seven rebounds when I believe he had seven rebounds in the first six minutes of the game against the uh, against Villanova at the Pavilion earlier this season. And then Charlie Moore, their scorer, who lit up Villanova again here at the Pavilion, 31 minutes, eight points, two of 10 shooting. They locked down on defense, and that was important. That's a theme we'll stick with when we move into the Xavier game. But impressive overall performance from Villanova. I mean, this game was over a couple minutes into the game, which was nice because yeah. it feels like Villanova hasn't really had that in a while to just completely steamroll someone like that. Uh, as you touched on, Tamir Cosby Roundtree, fantastic to see 16 minutes out of him, 11 points, 7 rebounds as well, going up against a big team in DePaul. That was good to see him insert as well a little bit. Yeah, no, I feel like we've been missing that a lot, and you're kind of against these bigger teams. You've been waiting for them to put Tamir in for him to actually be able to hold his own. Um, and, yeah, especially with DePaul's size, having that option and knowing that Tamir's maybe coming out of the little funk he's been in um, and actually playing up to kind of what we expected him to play this year um, is really good for the team going forward with a uh, uh, couple of games left in Big East play. Yeah, he was 4-for-4 four four from the field, 3-for-3 three three from free throws, which is huge. And he had a couple offensive boards, which is, you know, and that's what he's in there for is, you know, obviously we've talked about how he might not be, you know, the top scoring threat on the court, but being that big body is to continue, you know, to stand the glass for defensive and, you know, cycle it back on offense, either grab the ball or be able to tip it out to, you know, Gillespie Moore, Samuels, anyone who's out there, you know, to reset the shot clock and quote, you know, to 20 seconds, be able to get, you know, another good look, which would probably end up, you know, being a three. And that's what he was able to do was, you know, continue um, to give us more opportunities. Yeah, Sadiq Bay pitched in his ho-hum 20 points, also had a career-high seven assists, as well as he continues to chug right along. And then the other thing I want to point out is coaching for Villanova. You talk about Lieto for them. On Jay Wright, Villanova was not afraid to foul DePaul, and that is because DePaul is one of the worst free-throw mm-hmm. shooting teams in the country. They shot 11 of 20. They shoot just over 60% of a team. They are horrible free-throw shooting team, and Villanova took advantage of that. They had no problem sending them to the line, and that helped them really run away with things. Also, too, I love just... Uh, going into halftime is they uh, went to go interview Jay and they were like oh he kind of started to say something about you know that it fixed up on defense and he just kind of snickered and was like yeah but we're up 20 it was it was very funny like yeah. he, like he you know obviously as a coach you have to do that because you have to continue you know to continue to play well as you can't let up you know in any game let alone a big east game regardless if you're up 20 points or not and he was kind of focused like that and he just kind of like caught himself just for a half second kind of smirked and was like hey but we're up by 20 right now. So it's kind of like, you know, as, as all these things we have to do is we're still playing a heck of a game. We put up 45 points in the first half. Yeah, of course. And he even talked about then at the end of the game, too, they'll go back and look at the film and kind of throw out the last five, ten minutes of that yeah. game because it was the game was already over. Yeah. And DePaul started to hit some shots to bring it back. This game was not even as close as the 20-point score uh, referenced there. So moving into then the second game of the week, Villanova traveled to the Cintas Center to take on the Xavier Musketeers and came away with a 64-55 hard-fought win. Sadiq Bay, again, 22 points to go with just three rebounds, shot 8 of 17. Jermaine Samuel shot 70% of the field, 17 points. Most importantly for me, Colin Gillespie was held to four points, Yeah, and Villanova still won by nine and really ran away with this thing for most of the game. Yeah, I think it was a very similar game where I think that obviously Xavier got it close within five points a couple of times in the first half, but the second half, Nova was consistently up double digits, um, you know, in the higher teens. So obviously I think that's a similar game where, you know, the score line shows we won by nine, but I think that that's, you know, it was a healthy nine. It was, we, you know, I played them in a very tough arena is every, you know, four years, all four years we've played there, they've been ready to go, you know, ready for an upset. And Nova has just stepped up and has played Xavier consistently 
phenomenal, like the last, over you know over four years. And just what you said is Gillespie pitching in four and Jeremiah pitching in like four as well. I mean, that's huge, you know, considering that they had, you know, a poor game like that and they have other people stop up, which is, you know, very, very good to see. Obviously, it's not great to see low scoring like that, but, you know, it's just one game. And, yeah, well, I think they'll, you know, easily be back on, you know, Wednesday when we play St. Hall or St. John's, pardon me. Yeah, I think it, uh, a good thing to see was that Bay, Moore, and Samuels were able to pick up that scoring that the other starters and really the rest of the team didn't have because off the bench there was also four points. Um, from Swider and Roundtree um, combined, um, but with the with Colin and Jeremiah, you you saw that even though they weren't scoring, um, they both contributed in other ways. With Colin, he got six assists, which is I uh, I believe above his average for the year, just above his average, yeah. And then Robinson Earl put in twelve boards, and he went back from in that DePaul game while he was held kind of with low scoring. I believe it was seven points, and then the rebounds he only had. Four going back to that rebounding, we're getting double digit rebounds, which is really what he's really done the best for this team is that he's the one guy that can get you a board whenever you need it. And he got four offensive boards to really just keep some possessions going and give the hot guys of Bay, Moore, and Samuels just extra opportunities to to pull away. Yeah, absolutely. Especially on Robinson Earl. That's something that Jay Wright talked about in his post game press conference after the Marquette game was how the kid's a freshman, but he just comes in and really asserts himself on the boards and how important that is for this Villanova team that, you know, has got size for it, but you Bay and Samuels are good rebounders, especially Samuels. Samuels actually put up around 16 or 17 boards in a game against Georgetown last, last year. They don't have a dominant guy inside. Robinson Earl can definitely be that on the boards. The other thing to look at with him, who he did have kind of a more subdued week for who's been a fantastic player is that he went up against Paul Reed and Tyreek Jones, two of the tougher big men in all of the Big East, especially Jones. 17 points, 14 rebounds. I believe that's 10 straight double-doubles for Tyreek Jones, for Xavier. Just a, a, a really fantastic player. Then the big thing to point out for Villanova as well is just defense was the kryptonite over the three-game losing streak. Defense has been a lot better lately, especially in the Xavier game. They held Xavier to 21 points in the first half. 21. That's really good defense. 36% uh, from the field for Xavier, only 25% from three. Things are starting to come along on the defensive side. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Like from this week, even with with the low output from from two scores, it's still obviously a great offensive game. But being able to keep everybody, keep the other team from pulling away when you're trying to figure it out is really important. And earlier in the year, especially during that four game losing streak, they just kind of forgot how to play defense. It would let teams in it at the end of games. In both these these games, you never really felt like Xavier or DePaul were going to come back. And there was going to be this collapse in the last two minutes like there was so often a couple weeks ago. It's also very tough to go um, uh, wire to wire. And we didn't, um, we loved the whole game, which is yeah. especially too on the road. And yeah, I think just what Pets is just reiterate the defense has been great. Yeah, two impressive road wins for Villanova. I understand that one of them is against DePaul, the bottom feeder in the Big East right now. But anytime you have to go on the road, tough game, especially then compounding that with having to play Xavier on Saturday. And coming away with, with two really solid victories. So the Wildcats will keep on churning away. We'll look towards this week, upcoming week. Now on Wednesday night at the Pavilion Senior Night, they will face a 14-13 and 13 St. John's team that just got the doors blown off them by Seton Hall, 81-265. St. John's has really struggled, especially as they got into conference play now. I believe that Mike Anderson is doing a nice job laying the groundwork 
for his team, it's really tough for a coach to come in and succeed in year one without your recruits and, and things like that. So three and 11 in conference right now, the wins are over DePaul times two and one over Providence, but it's over Providence recently. And as we know, and we'll get to in a second, uh, Providence has been much, much better recently, but their big thing is Mustafa Heron is out for the season with an ankle injury. What are we expecting for Wednesday night? I think just something very similar to the way that we've played the last, I would say, three games. Is, or, well, I guess two, you know, because I think they're very similar opponents. Obviously, they're the ninth seed. I think just going off what you said is it's tough for a new coach to come in, especially two with, you know, such a great player leaving, Shamari Pons. Mm-hmm. is like that's his, you know, he was a 20-piece was 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 of game yeah, mm-hmm. type guy. So um, I expect... Um, I don't want to. I I don't want to say it could be a letdown game, but I don't know if it's going to be as emo- as emotional as a typical senior day because obviously we're not graduate. We're only graduating. Tim Saunders, Tim Saunders is the only so senior. It's not like hey, we got to go out there last year for Booth and Pascal, but um, yeah, I expect just a typical Villanova game that we've seen over the last six years. Of they're going to shoot the three pointer, they're going to do well, and you know, fingers crossed that they're going to end up. You know, doing well. So I don't want to go up there and say we're going to win by twenty points because again, this is the Big East, and anything can happen. Yeah, I think I think it'll be a good game. Um, it'll be interesting what the atmosphere is at the game because it's more of a senior night for the students. It is. It's because, our senior night, yeah, pretty much. Because there's really going to be there's only uh, the one player, um, Tim Saunders. But yeah, it'll be interesting how the team kind of takes that, and because especially in the last few home games, it's been. They're up a lot, and then the last three minutes, they just lose energy, mm-hmm. and they, they try to blow it. Like, they're not just giving it to you, They're, like, forcing it to them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that happens, because it has been... Like, DePaul took Villanova to overtime last time they were here. Sure. Mm-hmm. And we just blew them out by 30 at their place. So mm-hmm. is there something with that? Will that be changed by the senior night vibes? But I'm hoping... It should be should be a good game, and it should be a good a good win for the team, hopefully, and keep on this streak. Yeah, I think that there's more of a sense of importance now, especially knowing that you can't drop a game here if you're yeah. still competing for that Big East title with Seton Hall and Creighton fighting it out and Villanova just hoping that those two drop a breadcrumb for them that lets Nova get back into the regular season race at least. But for St. John's, they're going to play hard defense. LJ Figueroa is a very, very talented forward. I mean, St. John's is third in the country in steal percentage, I want to say. So they, they force turnovers, and that's what they do. Now, Villanova's been very good at limiting turnovers this season, but if St. John's is able to really drum up that environment and, and be able to get you know that press going, it's, it'll be tough for Villanova. I do think that they can handle their business and take care of it against the Johnnies, but there's no reason that St. John's can't make this a close game. No, not at all. No. And so that also takes us into Saturday then, last home game of the season at the Wells Fargo Center against the Providence Friars. The resurrection of the Friars has been one of the more interesting stories to watch here in the Big East. They're 9-6 and six in conference. They're fourth in the conference. That's better than Marquette. That's better than Butler. They're riding a three-game winning streak after really putting Marquette to the sword uh, over the weekend. Uh, a big thing for them. They don't have a game midweek like Villanova plays St. John's, so Ed Cooley can prepare for Jay Wright's squad throughout the entire week. And the other big thing, Alpha Diallo really woken up for the Friars of late. Basically has sleptwalked through most of the season, but last couple games, 10 points, 18 <coughs> points, 35 points, and 19 points. Providence, a game that looked like it was going to be pretty simple earlier in the season, this could be a tough one on Saturday. 
Yeah, we take. I think all three of us can take credit for Alpha Diallo this second season. Yeah, it's our fault. Aspect. Especially mine because I've, I've we been on talked him a about. Lot. Uh, yeah, we kind of said that he was go, because he's a senior, correct? Yes. Yeah, because I, since freshman year he's been an alpha. He's been out there. He's, he's been a machine. Literally, he's been a machine. He is. Like I think that, and that's he's playing incredible. And they sunk up to that four seat or to that four spot in the biggest tournament or big yeah for the biggies, which is they're like game back of us. That's yeah. The thing. They are playing. Like if we lose that game, then we're on the for the biggest tournament. Mm-hmm. At least the bracket changes a whole lot. For yeah, us. it does, and. Um, yeah, no, it'll be a tough game. Providence, oh, Providence and Seen Hall consistently through our four years, those games you can count on both teams coming out and playing us very tough. And I mean, I think back to the 2018 Big East Tournament Championship when we played Providence, and we were up by like eight with a couple minutes left, and then just did we blow it or did Providence come back? Like, you know, p- pick what it was, but Providence came back and forced overtime against who ended up winning the national championship, but. That was an incredible game. It was also, it was, yeah, it was one of the best games, but it's like Providence, you know, was dead to rights and came back, forced it to overtime. You know, thank goodness for Mikel Bridges. I said the lasting image from yeah. that game is the Mikel Bridges just the three, fade away three. Yeah, yeah. when, yeah, when Jalen just like lost. Yeah, no, and that's what it is. It's consistently Providence plays us very tough, and I expect nothing less from an Ed Cooley coach team that on Sun Saturday it's going to be. An old Big East game. It's going to be a grinded out. It's going to be very close. Is no lead will be safe until you know the fat lady sings at the end of the game. Yeah, it'll just be a really good game on Saturday, and just it's a good thing it's here. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Though I, it does have the potential to be one of those strange games, being that yeah. it is the first day of spring break. We'll be there. We'll be rowdy. We, yes, the two of us will be there. Conrad will be at Big East at that point. But so that leads it to be interesting, and then. Just got the fact that Providence is playing well. Well, I think Villanova will definitely handle St. John's this week, though. I think St. John's can make it close. Providence has a chance to win that game on Saturday with yeah. how they're playing. So it'll be a really interesting one to watch as we move forward here. As Conrad said, big implications in the Big East and definitely should be an entertaining game on Saturday. And last time we played them in Providence was one of the con was one of the games that Conrad said that we tried to throw it away. I mean, mm-hmm. we were up by like consider we had it was very similar to the Xavier game where we Took we took the uh, we took the home crowd out of it. We played awesome on the last three minutes, just turnover after turnover, and just leaving the door open. So I mean, you you can only get away with so many of those games in the regular season in the biggest tournament or in the NCAA tournament. So like, hopefully, you know, we can cheer that up, and if it does get close to that, you know, can kind of knock them out. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of a, a well, not kind of. It was a big weekend for Huge. college basketball, uh, especially for the higher-ranked teams, a lot of them coming down. Baylor, San Diego State, and Gonzaga all lost this weekend. Now, we've kind of talked about how this whole season things have been back and forth. Heck, we're talking about how Villanova-Providence can go back and forth on Saturday. Who is the best team in the country right now? I don't know. You want me to start? Yeah, you can go. Yeah. I do believe it is the Kansas Jayhawks who did beat Baylor over the weekend on the road. And I think Kansas has their weaknesses as well. But... Man, they are they are tough this year, but and I, I you don't want them to win it because let's be clear, Kansas are the bad guys. Like Bill Self has cheated, like they they've paid their players. They're under investigation. They'll get hit with it eventually. Eventually, eventually, Keyword eventually. Yeah, exactly, eventually. But as of right now, they're rolling. Obviously, Villanova had the big win over them in December, but Yudoka Azubuke has really turned the corner. As he was a player that showed flashes of potential. Throughout the first couple of years this year, he's been really, really solid with them. I believe he had a 21.19 rebound game boards, yeah. against Baylor this weekend. Kansas is 70-12 and 12 with him, 41-14 and 14 without him. Devon Dotson might just be the fastest point guard 
in the country. Isaiah Moss has the has the ability to step out and hit threes. Still got David McCormack coming off the bench now, and he's a big guy underneath. Kansas is good. Now, are they perfect? No, but this is the year where a perfect team will not win the national championship because there is no perfect team. Yeah, I think just what you said is Dana Miller said in class, or Dana O'Neill, pardon me, said it in class. Um, she said that, you know, it's going to end up being just a Kansas Duke final, and it's because her coach, but it was kind of like, Dana, you're forgetting about one of the other, like you're forgetting about like the, the third top three coach or like th- or like the third or fourth best coach, which is Jay and Coach Cal. Like, the, like this is going exactly what she said. The final four is going to end up being just straight chalk in the sense that it's going to be blue bloods. Like, I think that's just what's going to happen. And, um, yeah, I mean, maybe Kansas is the best. I think that they're are the most complete team probably because they've got Dodson. They've got Ezebuke down below. They've got a plethora of other scores. But, I mean, look at Dayton. Dayton's the— I love Dayton. Yeah, I will say that. What's his— uh, I Obi? think Dayton's fun. Obi Obi's Toppin. In, yeah, he's incredible. And I think it's just going to be fun is I think that— Depending on, I'm just hoping for our sake for the tournament that we get put with our one seed. I'm hoping for like Dayton or, or Dayton or San Diego State, which I don't think will end up getting a one seed anymore. But just because we can use our, you know, experience of being in the tournament against them, because I think that's what's going to come down to is what's going to happen with Florida State, with Maryland, with Dayton, even with this Gonzaga team. Like when they get in deep into the tournament in the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, second second weekend, how are those players going to react? No, it's true. When I look at it, I look at there kind of three teams that I'd like to avoid. I'd like to avoid Kansas. Yes. I'd like to avoid Baylor, as Villanova yeah. did lose to Baylor. Yeah. Baylor's still yeah, a very, yeah, very they're tough very, yeah. And there's, Duke scares me a little bit. Yeah. Now, I know Dana O'Neill talked about it. I think Duke can be exploited, especially on the perimeter, which yeah. might match up actually very nicely for Villanova with mm. three-point shooting, but still a team I'd rather stay away from. Otherwise, take the draw of whoever you want. Yeah, that's, Villanova. that's really what Let's I thought. Is I, I think that Andy Katz came out with one today, and we had... I believe it was Maryland as our two seed. It was on Friday, pardon me. It was Maryland as our two seed and San Diego State as our first seed. And I said, I said, sign me up. I, like I this would, would be incredible. I would do that in a heartbeat. And that's why I think that those those are probably the three teams that I want to stay away from too. Yeah, you just, could switch out Duke and Gonzaga as well because Mark Few just does such yeah, an incredible I think, job. Yeah. They did lose over the weekend to BYU. But yeah, but BYU was still ranked pretty high. But they were twenty third. Yeah, twenty third. Yeah. yeah, so they were still. It they didn't lose to a nobody. Exactly we'll put it that way. Well, that's why I think it's going to be, you know, kind of. I don't know. It'll, it'll it'll be crazy because any of these teams could lose, obviously, or it could all just be chalk. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. It's Kansas, mostly because they just beat Baylor, and then Kansas-Baylor you don't want to see. Dayton would be interesting to see. You could exploit, like, like you said, the uh, not really being there, but they're yeah. a very good team this mm-hmm. year. And who would we guard, who would match up with Obi? Because I feel like it'd have to be Samuel Samuels. or Samuels. or Jeremiah. Like I think mm-hmm. that we'd or even Slater, which Slater would be so he, he's giving a head, so that's why I think that I think I think it would be fun. I, I think I'm yeah. I'm very excited Dayton to see Nova what he could do. Be a fun game it'd be a fun game. I'm yeah. telling you, Dayton is a very, very talented yeah. team. Yeah, well they they pushed Kansas in the mm-hmm. Maui tournament to overtime they, in the they championship. Are no yeah. Joke. yeah, no, they're like I when I saw that and they're ranked fifteen, I was like, Oh, and then they moved And they've up. kept on winning. They've just kept winning. Yeah. So definitely something to look for. We're going to stick with college basketball, but transition now to the women's side. What was a huge weekend for Villanova women's basketball coach. Harry Peretta coached his final game of his 42-year career here with the Nova women, which ended up being a victory over DePaul, 76-58. DePaul, the best team in the Big East. They are a women's basketball powerhouse, and Nova blowed them out, as well as on Friday night going up against Marquette, the number two team in the Big East, winning by 14 points there. Uh, absolutely fantastic for Predator to go out in that way at home 
um, beating the number one and two teams in the Big East. Cameron Unkin registered the second triple-double in school history on Sunday. Again, so cool to see Peretta go out that way. It was the first since 2006 uh, against Notre Dame when Leah Suez Carney did it with 14 points, 10 boards, and 10 assists. Onkin had 12 points, 18 boards, 18 boards, and 10 assists, as well as Maddie Seagrest broke the Villanova record for points scored in a season by a freshman. She registered her uh, 14th 20-point game of the season again as a freshman. Her Biggie's best 11th double-double, 29 points, 13 rebounds. She's from Poughkeepsie, by the way, so shout-out to Marist over there. Um, really great weekend for the Villanova women. Yeah, very fun to send Harry off in style for someone that's been there, you know, for as long as anyone in the athletic department. So that's great, too. Um, you know, obviously, sent what you said, beating the top two teams, beating DePaul, who has been the powerhouse the last, what, two years, I think? A couple years, yeah. A couple yep. years, and to be able to see, you know, more than 50, you know, players come back. And he, I don't want to say he built this program, but he's been there he long enough the where it is like, they're, you know, kind of what was it for... Wait, he's been there for 42 years? So Mike Jensen wrote a spectacular article in the Inquirer, if you'd like to read it, on, on Harry Pretter and Villanova. So the Villanova women's program was around for 10 years before he got there, then yeah. he coached for the next 42. And he wow. took over as a 22 year I would say he took over like as our yep. age, and he's just, yeah, it's it's been incredible. So I've um, been lucky enough to you know talk with him a couple of times and see him, and it's just, you know, it's sad. is obviously, you know, we don't have the huge program as, you know, UConn as a Baylor, mm-hmm. but he has been that, you know, staple for... Villanova for the Philly Five for the Big East, which is you know going to be sad to see him go. Is have we named a, a coach in waiting? Not yet. But I think that um, no, it is it is it's um, it's smart to not smart to go out now, but I think it's you know it's a perfect timing to go out now, especially considering they're on a little bit of the win streak and you know what a perfect way to tie it all together with the Friday with the partlay of the Friday and Sunday night wins. Yeah, really, yeah. really cool. Uh, in Paredes' time, 11 NCAA tournament appearances, 11 WNIT berths, uh, as well as 17 outright-slash-shared Big Five titles, 20 seasons with at least 20 wins. I believe five Sweet 16s, if I'm getting it off the top of my head, uh, just has left a lasting legacy here at Villanova, and really cool to see him celebrated in this way. Yeah, no, it's been awesome, and it's... Um that he's left obviously has left the program in better hands than when he when he inherited oh, yeah. it 42 yeah. years ago as a 22 year old but it's and also too i think that it'll be awesome to see him come back come back like coach uh like coach tally with the football program mm-hmm. where he'll obviously still be involved and can continue you know be involved with the pro with this program kind of help with the coaching or not help with the coaching but you know just kind of help with the overall program which will be fun to continue to see him um, you know, ha- have his hands with this organization, not organization, but with the program for the next, you know, foreseeable future. Yeah, sure. And Pareto finished with 398 home wins, a 681 winning percentage at home, 294 wins at the Pavilion, 104 in Jake Nevin. Just very, very cool and obvious era of just building the Villanova women's program. It, it all comes down to Harry. So mm-hmm. great to see him celebrate in that way. But OK, that'll do it then for our college basketball portion of the show. We'll send it to a quick break. And then just hop around in miscellaneous and see where <laughs> that takes fun. us. Yeah, exactly. So this is a round trip around 89.1, and we'll be right back. Not bad. All right, so we are back here with some miscellaneous. That was Castaway, a little themed for uh, heading out to paradise next week. Hey. Yeah, can't wait. I, I feel like I should have gotten more excitement out of that in this room. Again, I'm still very full right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an hour and a half, and I just 
have not been able to move. It, that, that's fair. No, it, we're it, not uh, looking past anything. Yeah, no. Clearly, clearly, we're just focused on the now. Yeah. So, yeah. so we will get into it. We'll hop around a little bit. We'll start with the NFL. Uh, some news came out last week that we could have some changes to the schedule coming. So the NFL fighting for a change of 16 to 17 games, cutting the preseason down to three games, as well as a seventh playoff team in each league, which would make it only be one first round bye. What do we think about these possible changes? I don't like the first one by. I'm very adamant against that. Or I, I don't like the moving it to seven teams. It's why are you... It's, you know, obviously would help with making another team in the playoffs, with revenue, with putting another game on Wild Card Weekend. But, no, I think that is when you grind for 17 weeks, you know, obviously 16 games, 17 weeks with the four weeks of preseason is you've got to give the benefit of the doubt to two teams to be able to rest their guys because that's what you have to go for. I actually, I kind of like it. I've been talked into it because it does talk me into it because so with me Conrad right now. So with the one with only one team getting to buy that increases like those week 15, 16, 17 when there's possibly 18, (laughs) which is 18, 19 potentially, which is stupid. That's that part I'm really against. But the so it takes away the teams resting their players during the regular season. So it makes those last few weeks a little more interesting. It makes that wild card weekend so much more fun. And it also just it, it gives another team a chance. And you can see with that Giants team both times, I think, were wild card teams. It just makes they that were. a little more interesting and I think it allows for a team that maybe suffers an injury early in the year that gets everything kind of clicking late. It lets those teams have a chance and more teams are competing the entire season. So I think it makes the already great regular season even better by adding that extra team. And it also allows for like the Tennessee Titans. This is kind of me specific, but with the Tennessee Titans kind of figuring out halfway, halfway through the year that, Oh, Mariota is not good enough. Let's put in Tannehill. It gives teams chances to start somebody and, and figure out a better chance to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, let's say with like the bears they're supposed to bring in somebody they they try mitch for about half the year and then they're like oh no he sucks which <coughs> shocker uh, and you put in somebody else it gives that somebody else a chance so it's not like from week eight on half the teams in the league are done i, I like that part of it but then again but do you wanna or like i, I guess just playing devil's advocate an eight and eight pittsburgh Steelers team mm-hmm. would have made the playoffs is that's like the which you know again obviously but that a, defense was good yeah, no, I just yeah, I think and you also, don't want that quarterback playing there, but but that defense deserves to be in the playoffs. But also, too, it's like what you just said: if you get into the dance, anything can happen. Look at what the Titans did; they snuck in as a sixty and, t- and were a co- not a couple minutes away, but they were a half away. Uh, they were a half a football away from the Super Bowl, so it's yeah. like anything can happen. No, it's fair, and I actually take the the opposite approach to it, and where I like the sixteen to seventeen games, but that's me as a fan just yeah. saying, give me another football game. Listen, if you're a player, I don't know how you can agree to this. To go to 17 games because they're they're not going to up your pay. What the the proposed model is that you'll get an extra two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's what. Brandon That's until says. you your contract comes back up and then it can be changed. Exactly. But yeah, but so, for the current players on contract for a long time right now, it makes absolutely no sense. It just it doesn't. If make, you make no. over a million dollar, if you make over sixteen mil a year, you're losing money in that last game. It just it doesn't make much sense for me from a player standpoint. As I said, as a fan, I love going to 17 games because please give me one less preseason game yeah. and one extra regular season game. I think that would be fantastic to watch. And then for the seventh playoff team, my favorite part about it is the bye change that only one team gets the bye because I kind of like that, just re- having to fight for that one bye. 
and rewarding that team and then going through kind of, as I said, that challenge to get that bye week. What I don't like is that you are going to get mediocre teams in. Now, yes, they can happen anyway. We've seen it before. You go back to that Seahawks team that was 7-9 and nine and ended up beating the Saints with the Marshawn Lynch run. It, like, it happens every couple of seasons. You add this team, this extra slot, not great teams are going to get in. I don't love what that does to the postseason. Now, yes, wildcard weekend would be awesome with six games. Three and three, that'd be a lot of fun. I'm not sure I could go with it. Like, the L.A. Rams would have gotten in. The, the L.A. Rams are not a playoff team this year. And I said the Pittsburgh Seals, yeah, that defense was good. That quarterback play was atrocious. I don't want them in the playoffs. So I like the extended season, as I said, just as a fan, as a player, I would never agree to it. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I, I don't love the playoff expansion for these sports. I feel like it kind of is the way it is because it's working for these different sports. We talked about with baseball, the NBA. We can talk about <laughs> cut it time. down. Yeah, yeah. Cut it down. I, I am yeah. a firm believer in cutting it down from eight to six teams in the playoffs. I think that would make things much, yeah. much more interesting in that league. But in the NFL, do you really need to add a seventh team? I'm not sure. There was I was reading some tweets too from the Bills from Bills fans, and they were like, "It was the 2015 Bills with the last no with one of Rex Ryan's team and like a 2008 team." And they're like, "Oh, these teams would have made the playoffs." And I was like, "These teams weren't that good." <laughs> like, like as much as like I would have loved to have seen them in the playoffs. Like, but then again, too is what you said is you could get in you know people that are you know challenging that you know maybe um maybe this year uh, maybe this year drew Brees has like a down year you know in his last year but it's you know you get in there and the juice the playoff juices start going and then uh, magic just, that would be the one year that the saints actually win then yeah and when, they're, when they're not yeah. favored and of and of course is what i've read too is there like, oh of course the one year the bills get the two seed the first year the bills get the two seed is gonna be the first year that when there's don't no buy exactly no no it, it's it's interesting to see what's going to happen i mean the cba is expiring soon uh, it, this is going to be a battle, and it, this is not something that's just going to get passed through easily. Even the owners didn't unanimous, unanimously approve this change, which I think is actually really surprising because yeah. you would think they'd be money. all over yeah. it. All, I, both of these changes are clearly just money grabs. Yeah. yeah. But, like, again, like, why fix it if it's yeah. there's no problem with it? I like, mean, MLB, I kind of see why you're fixing it because <laughs> there is something off there. The playoffs they have right, but there's something off with the sure, regular season going yeah. down. NFL is... That, there's no need to change what's working. Of the like hundred most watched shows every single year, the NFL is ninety percent of it. Yes. Yeah, like the, all the Monday night games are like the top. Yeah, and they're horrible games. The yeah. Monday night games normally, which like. is why I think they think they can get away with adding that extra game of playoff uh, of the playoffs right. because they're like right. everybody's watching a crappy regular season game. Watch Let's just throw a crappy postseason game. I mean, like yeah, everybody's gonna watch. I mean, we're also sitting gonna here talking. Yeah, we don't watch it, and also too like maybe Greeny's dumb rules is put is like put a week of like playoffs give a bye week and then give you know or i guess that's you know that takes away the whole bye thing but i think that just having you know i, I don't know it'll be it'll be interesting it, it'll be interesting it, exactly so moving forward it's combine week as well with the nfl so be just something to follow as things come out of it the first thing to come out of it as sherwood put on here was joe burrow's hand size was measured at rest in peace is called at nine inches Everyone was horrified. I believe that is the smallest hands that would be for a first-round pick in years. Did anyone else see the stat on that? No. No, but that was a stat that came out. And Joe Burrow. uh, I saw his tweet. Joey. Joey Burrow. Joey Burrow. Decided to tweet out um, that he's now considering retirement because his hands are just too small because he just can't play in the NFL, I guess. (laughs) 
hilarious. That is fantastic. I remember, I remember last year, the big thing was what Kyler Murray had to go over, what, it was 5'11", yes. and it was like he had to be as tall as Russell Wilson, and there was the rumor that he put clay on the bottom of his heel so he would be higher in the measurements. I love it. These are the type of things that happen at the combine. This league. Talk about this league. But it's it, – it's, I think that, you know, credit to Joe Burrow for, you know, put, putting it out there and kind of making light of it that the guy probably had one of the best college college years ever for a quarterback. Listen, as we argued, he probably did have the best the college best year for ever. a quarterback. So his tweet just to read off word for word because it really does deserve to be read off word for word. Uh, Considering retirement after I was informed the football will be slipping out of my tiny hands, please keep me in your thoughts. Awesome. <laughs> That's coming from the man that will be the number one pick in about two months time yeah it's like if you it, that's when it turns analytics to analytics it's like if your analytics show you that he has two small hands then like you might want to just there's then, a reason you're yeah, picking the, first yeah, overall then, then, yeah, then the door is over at. here it's yeah. like if you if you haven't seen that this guy is and i'm gonna say he's one of the best college college quarterback prospects I've ever seen i'm probably gonna end up eating these words in three years and he's probably not gonna win a game but <laughs> but he had he had one of the most dominant and just what we we talked about it for so much during the fall time but this guy just big time moments looked looked death straight in the eye and just said watch this not death but he looked defeat in the eye and said you yeah, know look my the hardest schedule in possibly college football history in the eye and yeah. said i'm joe burrow i'm winning a national yeah. title and a heisman yeah no, it, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, somebody's going to see it. Maybe Cincinnati will pass on him. I've heard that they might trade. I I've, think he, I think Joe Burrow will yeah. them. No, I, I would take Joe Burrow. I'd like chance yeah. that they end up pulling the trigger. No. He will. Joe Burrow will be a yeah. Cincinnati Bengals. I also love the when it gets to this point is the like who's the next fill in the blank? Like I remember when the Bills draft did a one Nathan Peterman. He was mm. dubbed the next Dak Prescott. I don't know which one I'd rather have right now. And then <laughs> and they they're talking about Justin Love out of Utah State. Yes. They're saying he could be the next Patrick Mahomes. As I watched him play. Week one at Wake Forest, and he was incredible. The man puts up points, puts up throwing. He's got an incredible arm. He's got great legs. We'll be interested to see what he has to do. He, he was, will go in the first round. He was I sus- bet you he goes. He was suspended for his bowl game for testing positive for or like having a drug um, test. But I mean, this guy's he's he's very very good. He's he's the very typical not typical prototypical quarterback where he's big, he's tall, he's thick. He'll be able to take a hit. He's obviously not as tall as my man Josh Allen, but he'll good be. good in shorts? Yeah, that's No, definitely not oh. in shorts. So. Conrad, can't Conrad. Be, can't be my quarterback then. No, that's... But, he, but what you said, he will be a first-round quarterback. And I'll be interested to see what happens with Tua. And just what we talked about is I'm going to just get keep – I'm just going to continue down this train with the running backs and the wide receivers. Is this wide receiver class is one of the best wide receiver classes in decades. Is It'll be a, very exciting to see where all these guys go and to give them you know, a couple of years to see how they go. And who makes, you know, the biggest impact, instant impact. As I know Bradley said in class, he talked with an NFL GM and he said... He's so cool. Yeah, he's very cool. Um, shout out Mr. Bradley. But they said he said that the GMs are very scared for these wide receivers because they he because they not think that they are as good as people make them out to be. Oh, really? Yeah, that that could be interesting because as you look at it from first glance, it is a stack draft class, and we will talk about it more. We'll do a Justin draft. Jefferson's like the seventh. I, I was just going to say that. Like Jeff- the sixth or seventh. In, is sixth. The man like balled out in the in the postseason. He had, yeah, he he had was the four LSU touchdowns. receiver that just kept on catching touchdowns. 
it'll be interesting to follow. It will, yeah. and we'll get much more into draft stuff yeah, with, I apologize uh, with our draft in. special, Nolan Wacker. Yes. I would not like to steal any thunder from him, but he will be joining the show for a draft preview, which might be the most incredible show in Round Trooper history. Oh, so we'll be looking forward to that. Can't but yeah, wait. no, the wide receiver class is absolutely stacked. We'll move on to boxing. Huge heavyweight fight on Saturday night. Wilder Fury 2. Tyson Fury comes away with the TKO win. What do we think of the fight? It was incredible. Shout out to Wilder for saying that his legs were bogged down yeah, for the 40-pound costume that's, that's he walked in. That's a tough in. excuse. That was that, hilarious. That's, but. that's a really tough excuse to blame your loss on the fact that you wore a giant metal suit in as your entrance. Also, too, shout out for Pat and I. For the one thing that I wanted to see was the walk-in. We missed it. We did miss it. We were still on the way back from Wawa at that point. But Pat and I saw punch for punch. It was, it was, it was awesome. I think just what you and I said is in the room was just Tyson Fury just dominated that fight. I mean, from... The second or third round, he just, um, you know, busted him. You know, he was he injured him with you know punches, lower body, upper body, and just was in complete control. Is he is um, Wilder the whole fight just kind of looked dazed. He kind of just looked very off for most of the fight, which you know is credit to Fury for you know doing so well. And they talked about the, obviously the eardrum. We talked about how the balance goes off with the ear. Yes, and, Fury shattered Wilder's eardrum. And shout out to, I read a tweet that said um, about how Wilder's camp or um, Wilder's corner threw in the towel and someone was like, oh, this is what Rocky should have done in Rocky 3. And I thought, a Rocky 4 part me, and I thought, excuse me, it's a movie. Is, there's, the, there's a reason Rocky didn't throw in the towel. <laughs> I was like, this, is, this isn't real life. Yeah, it's a little different when you're going up against the monster that is Fury. Yeah. But when I looked at it, it was a massive heavyweight fight. And you yeah. know what? It was pretty cool because while MMA has kind of really <coughs> taken and UFC has really taken a lot of the wins out of boxing sales yeah. over the over the past couple of years, this was an exciting This fight. was a major boxing fight. And you know what? It was fun, especially for I'm a casual boxing fan. Like I only yeah. tune in for the big ones like this one. And it was a lot of fun. And also just to see the dominance of Fury in that fight was incredible. I mean, this thing, you knew how it was going to end. Pretty quickly, Wilder got knocked off balance, was was bloodied very, very early. And I think we saw the stat after that Fury landed more punches than yeah. Wilder attempt. Yeah. Attempted, Ooh. excuse me. It was 58. He landed 51. How many he threw, which was incredible. Yes. And I completely agree with Wilder's corner thrown in the towel. Yeah. That thing was going to get really dangerous for him very, very quickly. Now, I completely understand him being upset that his guys, his trainer, uh, forfeited the fight for him, but you got a career. When you're in a heavyweight fight against a man the size of Tyson Fury, there's also is safety and health concerns that have to go into it, and, and this fight was already over at that point. So and it was just better that it ended that way. Fury singing "Bye Bye Bye." I was just was, about to get into that. Can we play that song for the um, next commercial break? That's a, that's a long song. Just part of it, but I, I can I can try it. That was absolutely my. That was awesome. Yeah, just give me a quick second. Once this thing wraps up, then that I can uh, cue it up. But yeah, so Fury after he won decided to uh, bust out the karaoke machine and sing uh, American Pie, just like multiple verses. Oh yeah, American he kept Pie, like, by the way. I had no clue what he was singing. Like, I think it's American Pie. I was like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we listened to it for the first ten seconds. We're like, is yeah. that American Pie? And then I'm like, oh my god, it's American Pie. And then he he <laughs> got through like the chorus or the refrain. And he went into verse but two. That's the thing. I thought we were going to be done once we got through the chorus. Oh, no, we were not. Yeah. He just looks like a fun guy. He looks, yeah. He's the Gypsy King. He, wa- he walked off. He walked away from that fight like he was in a training session. Like, he did not look 
like I think they said during the match, like, yeah, he's got a lot of blood on him, but most of the blood is from Wilder. It's all Wilder's blood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he dominated that fight. It was fun to watch. Now, from reports, it looks like Wilder triggered a clause in the contract that's going to set up Wilder Fury 3. Awesome. Yeah, so I guess we're going to do it all again. I think we're going to get four. Fury's going to lose this one. Gonna think Fury's going to lose even after he looked like that? Yeah, no, we're going to... Uh, this is. He's going to enjoy this one. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lose this one. We're going to go to Wilder Fury for IV with the record at 1-1-1. One, one, and one. I mean, that would be the old corrupt boxing way, of And course. I think that's what it will be. I think that... I not. I don't think it will be, but I just... That's from the corrupt mindset that I think of for boxing and, like, the Olympics and soccer. I think that that will happen. <laughs> and it's fair, but... I think it'd be fun. Yeah, do it again. I'm ex- oh, I yeah. would love to, yeah. But an exciting fight is what it comes down to, and just brought boxing back. Ex- exactly, it feels like I haven't, where I don't remember a big boxing fight since the Mayweather McGregor, and even that that wasn't a that wasn't a boxing match. That was that the was... biggest money grab of all yes. time. Yeah. Um, so it was cool to actually see two guys at the height of their careers go at it, and two heavyweights, mind you, because yeah, the welterweights and, and that's all that, that's say. fine. The heavyweights are so heavy much weight, more fun. It's just a different animal when it's two mammoths of human beings. You land one of those, it's just. Yeah. So, fun fight to watch over the weekend, I'll say, especially for a casual. I, I did enjoy it, especially with the Wawa added in. Wawa was a lot of fun, and yeah, no, it was, it was a fun night Pen and I had. Yeah, it was, it was all good. So then we'll keep moving along to the NHL, as I said. We're going to bounce around a lot. Trade deadline was today, but oh no, we're going to start with something before that. The David Ayers story from Saturday night. If you don't know that, Saturday night, a game between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Leafs had, or excuse me, the Hurricanes had both of their goalies go off injured. And what does that mean? It's time for the emergency goalie to come in. Now, the emergency goalie, David Ayers, was a former Zamboni driver and a goalie for the Toronto Marlies, which is an AHL team. He had a kidney transplant 15 years ago. Under his, well, while he was basically sitting there in the stands, he was wearing a Maple Leafs t-shirt, which makes all of this so much better. He's forced into action against the highest scoring team in the league over the past couple months, the Toronto Maple Leafs, his team. His wife tweets out that she's not sure who she's rooting for <laughs> with her husband in there for the Hurricanes. And then she followed up by saying, oh, I lost my voice from screaming so yes. much. And I was yes. like, hold up. We, we, we have video on tape of you in the second period. Saying. <laughs> exactly. He, uh, he then proceeds to get scored on on the first two shots mm-hmm. of the game that he enters in for. Uh, my face is a power play. Yeah, faces a Toronto power play, which is just loaded with superstars on it. Mind you, this game, this is not just a regular season game in the NHL that means nothing. These are two teams fighting for the postseason going mm-hmm. at it. He then proceeds to save the next eight shots that he faces. So he finishes with an 80% save percentage. The Hurricanes win the game 6-3, to three, and he announces the first star of the game. One of the most bizarre fantastic incredible hilarious stories that you will ever hear in sports yeah it was awesome obviously the man was the zamboni driver yeah and he yeah. just stopped the toronto maple leafs <laughs> what's the difference between an ahl and an nhl zamboni driver is he Ooh. because he's the ahl zamboni driver is what i read so is he not as good to be in the NHL? no i'm kidding but <laughs> it was but literally what you said is like i think I, I think i pulled up a photo and i was showing you and connor i was like literally his equipment has the marley's and the maple leaves logo his equipment on there. was blue and yeah. they actually made him change his pants i believe which he had blue because it's okay. used to being toronto yeah it was like it was incredible to see that and then what we what we said is does he let in goals too especially too because that 
He got scored on the first two yeah. shots he faced. And it's like, does he just, because he's a Maple Leafs employee, does he just look the other way? <laughs> or does he go out there for glory? And he went for glory. And it was. And he got it. Yep. Yeah. And it was incredible. It, it was just such an amazing story. Coach Rob Brindamore for the Hurricanes sent him home with a nice bottle of wine. The Hurricanes are selling his jersey yeah. on their website, or his a jersey, we'll put it a shirt, uh, with Ayers number 90 for $28, which is also really cool. So Ayers will get a portion of that, and then more of the proceeds will be also going to a kidney foundation. As I said, he had a kidney transplant 15 years ago. So just what a cool story is basically yeah. what it came down to. And it's cool that it won. It reminds me of Scott Foster from a couple of years ago. The accountant in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. That he unfortunately lost, I believe. Did he lose that game? I thought he won it. I'm pretty sure the Blackhawks won that game. Uh, oh, no, yeah, they won 6-2. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They won Conrad. Yep. Come on, Mr. That. Blackhawks over here. Yeah. I could care less. <laughs> you that was our, care that, less. That, that was our freshman I year, I believe. If I'm, I, I think you're right, if I'm remembering year. correctly. It was, it, was, it was one of these years. Yeah. All right, we'll put it that way. But he did win that start. But a story awesome unique to hockey yeah just how could that happen that you have no other goalies left on your roster so who do you go to you go to the Samponi driver and what does he do he saves eight to ten shots you win the game it just absolutely incredible while he's employed by the team you just beat just absolutely fantastic sticking with hockey today was the nhl trade deadline which did come across at 3 p.m today uh, some of the biggest moves at the deadline happened in new york which was very cool so jg pajo Went from the Senators to the Islanders for a first, a second, and a third round pick. Definitely a big haul for the Senators, a team well mm-hmm. and far out of playoff contention. I think they're, no, uh, Dallas, not Dallas, Detroit's eliminated, but they're on the brink. Uh, Detroit's of, got like 30 something. Yeah, but they're on the brink. Ottawa's on the brink of yeah, being no, eliminated. Too. A train wreck. Ottawa has been trading away assets pretty for regularly. <laughs> yeah, especially over the last year and a half, uh, specifically Mark Stone out last year, Pajot out this year. So they, they're not afraid to move things around. Uh, the first round pick is a first-round pick this year as long as the Islanders don't finish in the top three of the draft lottery, which if the Islanders finish in the top three of the draft lottery this year, things went horribly wrong over the next uh, month and a half. Uh, Second-round pick, which is locked in, and a third-round pick only if the Islanders win the Stanley Cup this year. Overall, the Islanders needed to do it. They needed someone to shore up that that third-center spot. They also, he was supposed to be a rental. They signed him to a six-year contract a couple of hours later. So there goes the rental portion. If you're afraid of giving up too much for a guy that's going to leave in a couple months, well, that's not happening. He's committed his future. And for Ottawa, they got exactly what they wanted. They got draft picks, and they're able to restock. I believe they have close to 14 picks so many. in the ever upcoming since, draft. I was just yeah. say trade away Eric Carlson has just been downhill. Mm-hmm. It's like that was... And like, they've been continuing moving guys out. <sighs> Carlson was so good, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, think about it. They were a playoff team our, our freshman year, and they were yeah. loaded if you go back and look at that They're, the, ha- they're the hamburger, the goalie. <laughs> but I, probably, I don't remember what his last name was, but it's something close to that. That's all that matters. No, they're so. very good. And then um, what I saw, too, was um, Robin Leonard going to Vegas, which is very interesting. And it's So it's very cool. So Leonard, the Vezina Trophy winner with the New York Islanders last year, then signing with the Chicago Blackhawks this offseason. Out of it, still playing really, really well. Um, gets traded to now the Golden Knights, who are first yeah. in, uh, in their division. Yeah, they're far and away. They're not far and away, but they're, I believe, second in the West Conference, Western Conference, so we'll be seeing them again in the playoffs. Mark, got Marc-Andre Fleury, Mark Andre Fleury. Obviously, you know, his credentials with Pittsburgh, with leading that Vegas team to the Stanley Cup final. Um, first year, but it'll be interesting to kind of see how they end up doing that. If it's goalie by committee, if 
you know, you continue with, I don't want to say a hot liner, but he's obviously, I think, would be the he can better get it done goalie. In a race. That's the thing, is I think that, like, I, I just think because Mark Andre Fleury, what, he's 36, 37, 38, he's getting up there older. Leonard, what you just said, he just won the Vesna trophy. He, uh, that's a correction. He did not win the Vesna. Andre Vasilevsky in, uh, in uh, Tampa won it. He won the Masterson as well as Thomas Grice for the least goals allowed okay, by goalie. But candidate. still, again, he, he signed the, well, he was with the Sabres and he was decent. Then he signed the one year with the Islanders. Was and, incredible. Incredible. And also, um, yeah, no, he was incredible. And then now to see him go to Vegas, it'll be um, it'll be listen. They sure it'll be their rotation now. Yeah, and, and they're they're going to be able to put out a competent goalie every single night and continue to compete for a cup, which is what Vegas yeah, has been all about. Sabers Sabers have him on Thursday, so let's give him a rude awakening to Vegas. <laughs> there you go. Sticking in New York, Chris Kreider, who was probably the biggest trade trip that was out there going into the day, decided yeah. to sign a seven year extension to stay in the big city. I thought he was gone. There was I thought he was gone too. That, it seemed like great uh, contract talks had broken down and it seemed like he was going to be on his way out which would have been tough for a ranger team that's been playing really well Very lately good. has gotten themselves back in the playoff race and then just at about eleven thirty this morning it breaks that Kreider is not traded in fact he just signed a seven-year extension worth about six and a half million per year yeah i think that there weren't huge trades there's um there's obviously talks of what you said Kreider going there's talks of Prezi. Possibly to the Islanders, the Islanders thing, which, but they weren't able to work out the money going back and forth. Yeah, so I think that there were a lot of, you know, mid-level trades that, you know, were interesting. I don't th- I think it was very similar to this year's NBA trade deadline where it was just, you know, there wasn't obviously a huge piece moved, but there's a lot of, you know, sharing up on different rosters. And that's of, the important part. It's, it's filling needs for these yeah. teams, and that's what I think you saw a lot of. And for the Rangers, it was committing themselves to a player that yeah. has been a really, really solid for them throughout the years. As you go with other moves like that, Ilya Kovalchuk picked up um, by the Canadians originally yeah. from the Kings after he was waived. Then the Canadians go in a couple weeks waiver, a couple weeks later, flip him to the Capitals. So Kovalchuk now with Ovi. in the nation's capital with Alex Ovechkin, who finally picked up that 700th goal over the weekend as well. Patrick Marlowe, another veteran, traded from San Jose to Pittsburgh as Pittsburgh tries to ramp up. Thornton was also run. to be traded as well, Joe Thornton. Thornton another. ended up staying, though yeah. it was linked that he was going to trade to Boston or Dallas. Trade never went through. And Carolina went out there and got offense and defense going to Florida, as well as the Devils, or excuse me, as well as the Rangers, where they got Braden Shea uh, for a first-round pick there. What you really see from that is that the Metro division is already loaded and is already really, really brutal. It just got better because every team basically in playoff contention went out and made some moves, and it was a pretty exciting NHL trade deadline day. Also, if you take a look at it, um, Metropolitan is obviously the better of the two divisions, stronger yes. of the two divisions. They have both wild cards. The couple teams that are vying for the wild card spot, the top, I'm looking at right now, the top two are Metropolitan, the next two outside are Metropolitan, and then there's the Panthers and the Sabres that mm-hmm. are both sitting slightly out there, but are going to have a better shot, obviously, at getting in through um, the Atlantic than through the wild card. Yes, it's, there's going to be five teams from the Metropolitan in the yeah. playoffs. It, it, the Atlantic is only going to get their three, their top three teams in. And that's yeah, which is crazy that Toronto could end up as hot as they as hot as they played the first couple of months of the season might not even make it in, which hopefully they don't. And the Sabers somehow sneak in for me for one time, please Buffalo Sabers. Since it's been eleven years since I've seen a playoff game, I, I do think the Leafs are still going to make it. Yeah, I think they're they sitting will, in too. the third right now on the it's, Atlantic, and I think they will hold on to it. They're just so t- if they don't make the play, I mean they already fired Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock. Wow, I'm really stumbling over my words here in this segment. Um, a couple of weeks ago, 
But if they don't make the playoffs, it's just something's a wrong. They've got so failure. they've got so much talent there. Obviously, the Panthers are a game out with a game in hand. But I mean, do you trust the Panthers? If you if you were to say right now, twenty games left, who's going to make it? It's I put my money on Toronto as much yeah. as they are a disaster defensively. That offense is something to behold. So be interesting to watch there. Spring training, just a quick note. Uh, as Conrad mentioned in the pre-show, game started up over the weekend. Of course, me and Connor tuned into the Met games because it's what we do. Would you expect yeah. anything less? No. Tim Tebow still kicking around? Nice. He's going to make the major league no, team this year. Not. It's, yes, it, he is. It's time. I keep hoping for it's it. It's time for Tim to, to hang, up the, uh, hang up the glove. Join the XFL? Yes. Should have. He really should take it, the opportunity. It, it, the, it's time for the baseball experiment to end with, with Tebow. But it's not an experiment. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, a jo- it's his job. <laughs> it is his job. He's also employed by the SEC Network as well. That is true. Which you would think he'd like more. That seems like a little cushier role than playing minor league baseball. Very on good. Yes. Well. Yeah. But, but hey, we'll see. Uh, one story that just had to be noted because it was just way too easy to poke fun at. Huh. Um, the Astros, of course, also returned to action. Jose Altuve was booed um, today as well as Alex Bregman. Altuve was also hit by a pitch today on a breaking oh, ball that got away. Um, wink, wink, quote. Uh, the Astros were stealing a different kind of signs over the weekend. Fans were trying to bring signs into the game, and they were confiscating them. And that's just... If you're Houston, Gary Cohen put it perfectly on uh, on SNY. You, you cheated. You got to wear it. Their PR has been such a disaster. Not thinking of the headlines of the sign-stealing scandal, then confiscating fan signs and seeing Astros steal signs again in the headlines. Not, just not thinking ahead. It, it, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I don't know who's running the PR for the Astros, but whatever they're doing, do the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I opened up my – for Bradley, we're supposed to do a lead, and I just wrote it up. Uh, I started my article with uh, with uh, bad habits die hard as Astros are back to stealing signs. Oh, that's tough. I, I mean, it, it just writes itself. That's difficult. Yeah, that, but that's the thing. They just they make it too easy on you at this point. Yeah, it's well. It, this will be a story as we said a million times. Every game that they play in throughout the season will be something to follow. But it has to be pointed out because it's way too easy. Quickly on the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks have clinched a playoff spot. It's February twenty fourth. Hmm. Yep. Quickest they team. beat the Golden State Warrior record. Yeah, they're the quickest team ever to yeah. clinch your spot. So the Bucks are sitting at forty-eight and eight right now. But any other notes from the NBA we kind of want to hit? Really good game last night, and I like. That's right. The Celtics like yeah. this game was fun. Mm. Uh, Jason Tatum's a star. CJ McCollum stepped up huge last night for the Trailblazers with, um, with. I'm blanking on his name with uh, Dame out. He put up 41, and I think he had the last like eight points or eight like uh, eight of the last ten to help um, get them the win against Detroit. So much really, I don't think of uh, the Laker thing's actually working. They've got yeah, a couple working. games on that first seed. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston got a five game lead now on Denver. Yeah, 